Welcome to the Ag Factory. I'm Shara. This week, we have a special treat for you. One of my favorite writers, Margaret Atwood, came to the Bay Area. Atwood was in Redwood City to read from her latest novel, The Heart Goes Last, thanks to Peninsula Arts and Letters, the nonprofit partner of Kepler's Books. Atwood was born in Canada in 1939, and she chose to be a writer at 16. Her most famous work is probably The Handmaid's Tale, but she's published more than 40 works of fiction, nonfiction, children's literature, and poetry. After the reading, Peninsula Arts and Letters event manager Nicole Hughes did a Q&A with Atwood. You will now hear some excerpts from the Q&A with permission from the nonprofit. And note, I recorded this from the audience, so please excuse any poor sound quality. She discussed her writing, her optimism for the future, dystopian fiction, and many other things. First, she answers the question, what have been your biggest risks? I announced when I was 16 that I was going to be my write a writer. My mother said, if you're going to be a writer, you'd better learn to spell. <laughs> and I said, others will do that for me. <laughs> thing was, was risky. Then once, I, um, then once I got into the writing, I suppose they want to know, you know, I, I think the, the biggest risks were actually things that I started writing that, that I never finished and they, they didn't pay off. So, um, I don't know. I mean, I always, um, I, think, I think starting any book is, is risky. Think of all the risks involved. Number one, you think you're going to finish it. <laughs> number two, you think somebody's going to publish it. Number three, you think it might sell. And number four, <laughs> all those kinds of risks. There is no, um, there's no pension plan. So if you want one of those, don't do it. <laughs> She also talked about which characters she most liked to write in her Mad Adam trilogy. The Mad Adam books, if you haven't read them, describe what happens to civilization when unregulated genetic engineering, gross social inequality, and climate change bring the world to its knees. And of course, an apocalypse. Well, I'm partial to, to Jimmy Snowman. Um, and I think my favorite parts of writing him were uh, his in, his inventions. He's a he's a sort of a creative liar, and um, I think I, I like the mythologies that he makes up. Although he keeps backing himself into a corner with them, he manages to talk himself out of those corners every time. So he's the kind of person that, in another age, he's, he's a sort of an affiliate of Odysseus. Another serial liar. <laughs> how do you keep your life full of vibrancy, and how much of that is reflected in your work? How do I keep my life full of vibrancy? Well, that's a lovely question that assumes that my life is full of <laughs> Let's see. Let, let me see what I can think of for you. <laughs> Energy bars. Reading lots of different things, um, exploring new technologies. You would not believe what I did last week. I got on this machine, a virtual reality machine called Birdly, which is supposed to give you the sensation of flying like a bird. 
I did this so you don't have to. Referred to a lot in the last presidential election. 
because the four wise Republicans opened their mouths and said what they actually thought. <laughs> a mistake. In creating such a bleak and convincing portrayal of our future in your Mad Adam trilogy, how do you remain hopeful? How do I remain hopeful? Well, I didn't kill off the animals. <laughs> inherently hopeful person because there's no point not being. Um, you might as well be hopeful. I'll tell you about a very hopeful project. The hopeful project you may visit online. It's called futurelibrary.no, which means Norway. And it is an art project and library project and writing project conceived by the 34-year-old Scottish art bombshell Katie Patterson. E-A-T-E-R-S-O-N. And her idea is to grow, and they're growing now, a thousand trees in a forest in Norway for a hundred years. And in every year of that hundred years, a different author, all languages, all countries, um, any prose or poetry form, uh, will be asked to contribute a manuscript to the Future Library in a sealed box. And in the year 100, all of the boxes will be opened and enough wood will be cut from the forest to make the paper to print an anthology of the Future Library. And I was the first one. We did the handover in the forest in Norway in May. The next one will be David Mitchell, and there are three rules. Uh, number one, words only, no images, any form, short, it could be one word, it could be, um, it could be prose, it could be poetry, a play, a screenplay, a novel, a short story, anything you like. But next rule, you can't tell anyone what's in the box. And Third rule, two copies only inside the box, all others destroyed. So people have been trying to get it out of me ever since. So I shouldn't ask you to tell us what's in the box. There's no point in doing that. We did a title reveal uh, in May and we also periscoped and tweeted it around the world and we had participation of 106 million people. And we did a fiction contest with Wattpad, which added another 20 million. So people were really grabbed by this, and I think the reason is that it is a very hopeful thing. It assumes there will be people. It assumes they'll know how to read. It assumes that they will want to read. It assumes the library will still be there, that the trees will grow, and that the hundred years will pass with each writer contributing a manuscript, so it's very, very um, future-oriented and positive in that way. Okay, two more questions. Um, what do you think of the rise of dystopian literature, especially in young adults, and have any titles or authors stood out for you? Okay, so when I first started writing this kind of book back in 1985, there wasn't um, much of it around. There had been earlier in the century, but there wasn't right there. And, um, and it, it didn't 
you know, the Cold War ended in 1989, and everybody thought that history had ended and, and we were all just going to go shopping forever. <laughs> and that didn't happen. So. <laughs> uh, but then in the early 21st century, I published works in Crake in, 19, in 2003, and there still wasn't a lot of it. But shortly thereafter, there started to be a lot of different kinds. Some of it is, is feminist um, sci-fi spec fic. You might, you might almost call it Children of Handmaid's Tale, some of it. <laughs> you think, okay, how old are these people writing this and what did they study in high school? Um, and I think there is that kind of opening up. And the other, there's a big chunk of it that has to do with global warming scenarios of various different kinds. And both of those things are pretty obvious. Why people are writing about them is because those are issues for them. And uh, they feel uncertain about their future in those respects. Some of it is generalized kind of horrible fantasy, like uh, Hunger Games. And um, I, I think that is more a kind of um, coming of age, role playing, you know, how do I relate? Should I kill my best friend, basically? <laughs> basically you know, I'm thinking about in high school a lot. <laughs> well, what is loyalty? What is perseverance? Um, where do I stand vis-a-vis -vis authority figures? How mean are adults, really? Um, yeah, I, I think dystopian literature comes out of real concerns about the future, especially among young people. And wherever I go in big cities like London and San Francisco and New York, I hear these stories about kids who just cannot afford um, their, their financial stories or financial pressure. They just cannot afford uh, to live even in a studio apartment by themselves. So in London it was how many kids are moving back in with their parents, I heard some of that here. Um, it isn't the expanding, you know, kids will do better than their parents that we were seeing in the 50s. In fact, I think the 50s may have been the last real decade when that was uh, considered to be true. So a lot of uncertainty. They, they don't see a stable, dependable future. And, and, and of course they're writing dystopian fiction. They wrote a lot of utopian fiction in the 19th century when people thought things were getting better and better in every way. But people don't think that now. They think some things are getting better. Um, but they are apprehensive about their own futures. Okay, we'll end on a writerly question. Um, what is the relationship between the development of your plots and the development of your themes? Whoa. <laughs> Do I detect somebody writing a term paper? <laughs> Development of your themes. Okay, so the thing is that 
when you're teaching, or indeed when you're writing a term paper, you have the benefit of being able to read the whole book. But when you're actually writing that book, you are not in that position. So, those kinds of themes and plots and ideas, sometimes people say ideas, they're, they're more or less philosophical questions, and, and they're questions asked from a, a sort of bird's eye viewpoint. Uh, not the crashing into the Manhattan skyscraper, but looking, looking down on the whole novel spread out before you. You can make graphs of it, the things people do. I'm not sneering at that. I've made nice graphs of, you know, novels in my day. I know how to do that. Um, but I don't do that when I'm writing. Um, because when you're writing, you actually don't know. You're, when you're writing, you're partly in the dark and you're down in the mud. So you're, you're working with, uh, you're really working with some pretty amorphous material to see what you can make out of it. That is anyway how I write. So I don't know what my, either my plot or my themes are until I'm pretty far into the book. And uh, that's just the way it is when you're writing. So I think the relationship between my plot and my themes is unknown to me when I'm actually doing it. And what I'm more concerned with is what A says to B on page 15, like that. And whether it sounds like something a real person would say or not. Thank you so much. You've been listening to The Egg Factory. I hope you enjoyed this delightful Q&A with Margaret Atwood. For more Peninsula Arts and Letters events, go to keplers.com. That's K-E-P-L-E-R-S.com. And if you want to listen to more awesome Q&As with authors, I suggest the BBC World Book Club podcast. The host, her name is Harriet Gilbert. She talks with famous authors like Toni Morrison, Jhumpa Lahiri, and Barbara Kingsolver about their most popular books. For more Egg Factory, subscribe to our podcast and like our Facebook page. Also, check out our Tumblr, where we post our episodes and other stories related to women's lives at eggsforears.tumblr.com, and that's with the number four. And one scheduling note. You may have noticed we have not been posting episodes as frequently, but we have four more episodes in the works, and we will post them as soon as we can. Diane is currently doing lots of science at her chem lab, and I'm three months into a full-time job, so our egg factory time is spread a little thin. But we are really excited about the women we've interviewed, which include a microbiologist, an entrepreneur, and a lawyer, so please stay tuned. Thanks for listening, and hope you have a great week.